what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Pat. New year. New you. New ads. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for new ads. It is time for new ads. We've had a wonderful year of sponsorship by our four wonderful people that carried us throughout the year. Truly, the sponsorship that comes from these guys, Jason Furman, Einzer Wiener Dog Quip. <laughs> Jason was the first person to reach out, like episode one. Hey, I want to sponsor the show. We're yep. like, fuck off, mate. Then <laughs> <laughs> several months later, we're like, uh, we could do some of that money now, yep. Jason. So we apologize. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank mm. you so much. Mm. But truly, where I get all my dog-related items mm-hmm. is Einswick Dog Quip. And amazing hoodies. Yeah. No, I do have a really good hoodie from Jason. Yeah, I've got a great hoodie from Jason yeah. as well. But I continue to get all my stuff. When I need dog training gear, Jason's my first point of call. Yep. I just bought a meal off him again. for Another meal? Yeah, for my sister. Yep. I'm going to do some little meal content. He is incredibly generous and very supportive to the industry. He is. And doing amazing work on his weight loss as well. So go, Jason. His problem, though, is doesn't ship to the US. Oh, what an absolute turd burglar. Step in. Mac Point. Mac Point. Oh, are you talking Mark with a C? Carc Point. <laughs> Canine Dynamics. Yes. He's in Canada. Yep. But he's, well, he does service the whole world, but just stay out of Jason Territory, fucking Mark Point. North America. Who do you reckon would win between them? Mark's a cop. He has a gun. Yep. Jason has guns. Yep. I don't know. It'd be an interesting battle. If we can organise it. Let's do an MMA match between Kakla Point and <laughs> Furman. <laughs> Not really. Love them both. So if you're in North America and you want some dog gear, yep. Canon Dynamics, that's a place to get it. Yes, absolutely. Great range, really good website, very intuitive. It makes life so easy to order product. Yep. You know who else has been supporting the show for a long, long time? That would have to be the lady herself from Ashland, Virginia. Melanie the the train town. Yes, Melanie Benware. Yep. She does these little home school things. Yeah. And I think the reason that our listeners should be getting in contact with her is because they know someone mm. in Ashland, Virginia, that needs their dog homeschooled, or they want to learn about that kind of program themselves, and they, as a trainer, could book a session to get some time with Melanie Benware. And she's been busier than ever, which is great. Yeah. Hopefully, she's got some transactions from the canine paradigm. Yes, hopefully. Mm. You know where you could get a killer Dutch Shepherd or German Shepherd? That would have to be the wonderful people, Patrick and Alicia Lockett from House Amberg. One and the same. Yep. That's them. If I were in Europe, and Europe's the place to get the dogs. Yep. If I were in Germany, that's where I'd go. But mm. the good news is you don't have to be in Germany. They can ship all over the world. All over the world. Mm. You want yourself a sweet-ass Dutchie? Yep. Talk to them. Or a German Shepherd. I don't know why you'd want a German Shepherd, but if you do... Oh, <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. The best ones around will come from them. That's a sponsor killer in itself. (laughs) No, really, those guys have supported the show for a long time. Jason from the start, Mark, Mel, and Patrick and Alicia at House Amberg, Shepherds. We really appreciate you guys supporting the show. And good quality people as well, good quality products. Moving forward on that, we only take those sponsorships from those guys because we know them, we trust them, we believe in them. Yep. 
going forward into 2022, we know that some of you fucking fast forward these ads. Oof. Not everybody listens to the ads. Absolute disgusting. So we're thinking, we're not, nothing's set in stone, but we're thinking about changing the structure of the ads at the front to yep. give our sponsors better value and maybe just reading one each time and mm-hmm. then bringing more people into the rotation if that's something people are interested in doing. Yes. So stand by for information on that. So if you do want to be a 2022 sponsor and you're happy to continue with us, let us know. We'll be canvassing that shortly. But yep. for those of you who have been supporting us, just like our wonderful listeners, we we'll just want to thank you very, very much. Really appreciate everything you've contributed. All right. We love you. We do. Bye. Goodbye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. It's so good to be in studio again. We are. It's two in a row now. Yeah, we're finding the times. Yeah. This is a, another weird time for it's us It's a to win for it. us both. It's a win for the listener. Yeah. Before we carry on with anything, I will say I've been back and forth with a few people that we're trying to get on the show, mm. and I've said to them, and I know this can seem like bullshit, so I want to put it out there like publicly because there's multiple people I've sent the same email to. It's not that we're fobbing you off. It's that we barely know when we're going to be able to podcast. So trying to organize with people all around the world and saying, you know, in your time zone and this and that, this is the time we can do it. Like very often we don't know when we're going to be able to record. So we will find a level soon. Things will, school holidays is about to end. Your kennel's about to be less full. I'm about to have some more time. We will find a level and we will get guests back. I promise. December, January is always, a, it's not a shit time of year. It's a busy time of year. Yeah. You were just talking about today. You're in a bit of a parent trap where, yeah. you know, Rip's not at school and, you know, you're doing daddy daycare and taking care of him all the time and we're just flat to the boards. Yep. Like, I mean, literally flat to the board. So we're all busy people. We've got things on. It doesn't mean that we don't want to make uh, and put effort into this because this is our side gig. And it's I also, love it. We yeah, love that's right. It. I do too. And that's one of the things. And that's, I think I express to people that my job is my job, but the podcast is something that I find enjoyment in. Like yeah. this gives me time to unburden myself a little bit. I get to talk about things. I get to hang out with you. It breaks up my week. It it takes away the monotony of doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. So you get to escape from the rat wheel for a bit of time. It's not that I don't like my job. I love my job, but it's my job is intense. And in this time of year, it's, you know, like your limited sleep, everybody wants something, everybody's stressed. And plus, you know, as we've said multiple, multiple times, Omicron got thrown in on the top of that. Yeah. It made this year particularly miserable, not just for us, for a lot of other people. But that seems like it's about to rectify itself. Things seem like they're stabilizing more. Things are getting back on track. Happy days for everybody. I'm looking forward to what's coming off on the rest of 2022. But like the experience to the listener is an episode still comes out just about every week. But what you don't know is it's we're all over the place in recording that. It's not like we used to be at a really conveniently set and scheduled in time. And so getting a guest on is really hard because we often have you know, just a couple of hours notice before we're doing it and organize with other people. But it's coming. We promise. We've got some cool things coming up. It was Australia Day yesterday. And I usually like to say happy Australia Day. But these days, every time you say that, you get cut down by social media fanatics who want to call it something else. So I think, fuck that. So I just spent the day editing the podcast because we did it on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just trying to find time around to get it done. So I thought, perfect, I've got a day to myself. I've literally got through all my emails. So I just sat down and cranked it out and got it out sort of Mm mid-morning. 
Nice. Nice to sort of just sit back, cruise into it, and, and get it out without rushing through yep. anything. I got out a Patreon thing as well, same day. You did I, too. I had the time. I was yeah. like, yes, I can I can set this up. Yes, well done, sir. Oh, we're, we're both kicking amazing goals. I know, we are, aren't we? <laughs> what, a, we what, just, a, what a pair of amazing men we are. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's, we've just gone through our own little private circle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a Jew one. Melanie Benware sent me a message. I woke up this morning and there was a voicemail on my phone instead of like she usually types out, you know, how, how's the day, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, dude, couldn't stop laughing when you were talking about one elephant at a time. And then she said, and then you're saying to your staff member, oh, you can only fit so much in your mouth at a time. <laughs> and she said, I'm sorry, but that was like, that's what she said sort of joke. And I, I got it and I laughed. <laughs> I pulled a joke from a, I think it's from a Will Ferrell skit. Mm. I pulled it on the kids in the building. They were reenacting like kids' fairy tale things and I was sort of supervising. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a little movie. And I got my camera and was filming them and sort of directing them. And they were like, then when I edited it together, I did a really pretty good job of it, right? Like I put it together and they had this little show. Um, and one of them's like, wow, you're really good at this. And I was like, you know, kids, I'm just like you. Only I put my pants on one leg at a time, but then I go and make amazing movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's a line from the cowbell scene where, you know, I got to hear more cowbell. Do you know that skit? Oh, I do. Yes. What's his name? Christopher Walken. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they introduce him as the Mac Daddy record making guy. He goes, I'm yep. just like you guys. I put my pants on one, one leg at a time, but then I go out and make gold records. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dog training. Yeah. So mm. I, I want to give a little bit of a backstory. Go for it. I left the army in 2015 because in 2011, I broke my back. Mm-hmm. I broke my back in two places. I bulged three discs. I won't sort of bore everyone with all the details, but I had a pretty active career. I got blown up a couple of times. You know, I did a lot, but I actually got injured mostly on a training day, right? How bad was the break? I know we've talked about your broken back, and I'm sure that you and I, when we've sat out in the shed on one summer night five or six years ago, we probably had that discussion, but I forgot. Yeah. So what I have, it's called a um, a pars defect. Right. And so it's on my L5. You could imagine the way sort of your a real medical person is going to- It's in the lumbar region. At, yeah, my, L, yeah, my lower yeah. back. Yeah, L5, yeah. right? So yeah. a real medical person is going to be kicking their dashboard hearing me talk about this. But for people to understand- the way your vertebrae kind of stack together, there's those little wings that come off the mm. back. They're your pars. And on my L5, I snapped both of those and they stayed where they're meant to be. But my actual disc, the actual vertebrae moved forward. And that, Ooh. that like is how, like it's a mechanism for paralysis. And I have not, like it didn't move far enough. So I have what's called a spondylolylesthesis, which means that that vertebrae has moved away from the break, mm. which means those bones are no longer touching. So it will never heal. Right. So like, it's not acutely painful as in I just broke a bone because the bones are sort of, um, you know, they're, they've healed in so much as that they're not a, a fresh break, mm. but they're not touching. They didn't yep. heal back together. Uh, so eventually there's only a couple of things they can do. They can repair it. And I did explore that, but it's a very rare surgery that people do. And it's usually only sort of an athlete's thing because they can pin it back together and you have to wear a brace for six months. And it's a bunch of different things. And I initially was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do that. The surgeon actually told me this will give you way more pain. I guarantee you that, but it will stabilize your spine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, cool. Let's, let's do it. And he's like, why are you making that choice? 
And I was like, well, I want to be deployable. Like I want to stay in the army. And he was like, that's not happening. Like if you do this surgery, you're not like, I'm not signing off on you being deployable. And I was like, okay, well, there's no point. Mm. So then the other is a full fusion where they bolt basically your L4, L5, S1 all together. And eventually I'm going to have to have that. That is, you know, put off as long as you can. Back surgery is very, it's basically a one shot deal. So one of the surgeons I saw, one of the best ones, he kind of, he said to me, mate, by the time you need this, like it, you could definitely benefit from it now, but by the time you need it, we will be able to do something better. Mm. Uh, and in particular, the, the issue then becomes that I also need a double hip replacement. So if I were to have all the things that I should have, I'd have three of my vertebrae fused together. I'd have both my hips replaced and I'd have my big toe on my left foot fused actually. And that was the Jeez. <laughs> That was the one that I refused the most. The, the, the surgeon that looked at me about that one, he was like, this is what we need to do. So you have these sesamoid bones in your foot mm. and they basically act like your they, – it's kind of like a kneecap, right? Yep. It, that's kind of how they work. Mine got obliterated, so like it's mush where there was sesamoids. And sesamoids are kind of funny. Some people have one, some people have three. It, it sort of depends. But mine's – like I've got 10,000 of them. They, they just got obliterated. And so the only way they can fix that is to cut it all out, but then you have no kneecaps. So they have to fuse your big toe. And when he said to me, he goes, you won't be able to run again. And I was like, yeah, I'd, I can't run anyway because my back's fucked. And he's like, no, no, you like you mechanically won't be able to run. You'll have a limp if you try and run. You'll kind of have a weird hobble. Like you just won't be able to do it. You can't stabilize without your big toe. Yeah, well, I'll have a big toe, but it just won't bend at all. Mm. And <laughs> he must have thought I was a fucking idiot. And I guess I am because I go, so like if a lion's chasing me, I need to be able to run. Mm. I'm like, I can run with my fucked back. It hurts like hell, but I physically can do it. And he's like, no, no, if you fuse your big toe, you can't run. Like mm. it becomes impossible to run. And I was like, well, what if a lion chases me, mate? Like I need to be able to run. <laughs> he's like, how often have you been chased by a lion? I was like, never. But but, but the time might come up. But life is crazy sometimes, bro. Yeah. Like I need to be able to run. Anyway, so when I was leaving the army, that was kind of what was written up. There's a bunch of other things as well. Like I've had a heap of different injuries, a couple of like pretty serious brain injuries as well. Like I've had a lot of different shit go on in my career mm. and I need a couple of this replaced. So that was one of the things, the surgeon that said we will have invented something better. Part of that was in talks of like repairing, or like shaving off some of the discs. And then he actually was working on a pattern. I guess he didn't want to tell me directly in case I somehow became a professor of neuroscience and or, or of um, – whatever, what he, uh, yeah, he is a neuro back surgeon or something in case I can't suddenly figured out what he was inventing and cut off his patent. But like, I saw him on the news like 18 months later and he'd created an artificial disc. And so he was like, don't fix these discs because eventually you can just get one of these artificial ones that I'm making put in. Right. Anyway, so I need my back fused. I need both my hips replaced. I've got issues with my shoulders, but there's probably no surgeries I need on those. Well, that's about the only way I can compete with you is I've got a pinned up shoulder. Yeah, right. Back's pretty good. I've got bursa injuries from dog training, from taking hits and stuff over the years. Like my bursas in both my shoulders are fucked. Yeah. But my right shoulder was a snow skiing accident. Just completely destroyed my shoulder, dislocated and broke it at the same time. Yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> when I first did my back and when it first – you get downgraded in the army to a, like it's called med class three, which means you have 12 months to either recover or they're kicking you out. And knowing that I was never going to recover, like it's never going to heal. Mm. Uh, I had the option to discharge then. Like I didn't really want to do that. And, and long story short, I was put into what's called a critical skills waiver because of my rank and my skill set. The unit basically said, we'll keep him until yep. he chooses to leave. We'll keep him. And because of the job I was in, I was, you know, 
somewhat able to do until I eventually became too much of a liability. And that's why I sort of was like, Hey, I'm probably not suitable anymore and took the discharge and they kicked me out. Yeah. So along the way you get all these treatment, right? Like medical treatment. I see a million surgeons, a bunch of different physios and whatever. And I never kind of clicked and never gelled with any of them. And then eventually a friend of mine who had left the army and was like a PT and I was training with him, Mm. put me on to a, a civilian physio guy and so when you're in the army, all your medical's covered, but you have to go to the people they send you to. You can't just go to whoever you want. You can go to whoever you want, but you have to pay. Right. So I was seeing this physio, I was just paying myself. And I've been seeing him, now that I'm out, Veterans Affairs pays for that, right? Because they all recognize military injuries. They then have to pay for my treatment afterwards. Mm-hmm. But while I'm in the army, the army has its own physio. So they're like, no, you have to see them. But now that I'm out, they pay for me to see the guy that I have been seeing for more than 10 years. I think I've been seeing him. Anyway, so we're good friends and he's a phenomenal physio and he's the reason why I am able to do what I do. I see him every week when Mm -hmm. I can, sometimes twice a week. I reckon that I would have to be one of his worst (laughs) clients, (laughs) right? Because he really gets the body. He's amazing. And he looks like, yeah, we've spoken about this before. Like this is a very serious character flaw of mine, but I have a hard time taking medical advice from someone who's not, fitter and more fit than me, right? Like Mm. more healthy than me. And my physio looks like when the aliens want to know, like, what is a man? He's the photo we're going to show him. Like he's carved out of wood, jacked, super healthy, knows fitness and Like a George Kittredge sort of body. Something like that. I mean, he's a a jacked young fellow. So my physio, Luke, to put in context, one day he was telling me about how he wanted to run the City of Surf, which is a big run here in Sydney. It's like 14 kilometers long. He wanted to do it like competitively. He wanted to do it well. And he was trying to lose muscle mass in order to like cut weight to be faster. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, it's just so hard for me. Every time I like, I just have to be careful because I just keep stacking on muscle. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. Yeah. Anyway. This is where I'm going with this. So right now I'm pretty out of shape, Mm -hmm. right? Because I've had some like injuries flare up. Like I manage all this stuff, but sometimes it comes to a head and I'm pretty out of shape as well as food is delicious, Mm -hmm. right? And it's been Christmas and blah, blah, blah. So I'm I'm out of shape and I need to start training again. You're coming into my territory now. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm at my physio and I'm like, mate, I keep injuring myself. I keep doing myself a mischief every time I'm trying to train. And what I want to the type of training I want to do is the big lifts. So two years ago when I got right into it and we spoke about it a heap on the podcast and I was really fit at the time and strong. This is your kettlebell. Yeah, I was right training. into the kettlebell mm. stuff. And I was doing this program called Simple and Sinister. I've talked about it a million times. Mm. And that simple is a, a weight range and sinister is the next. And there's only like 20 people on the planet that, or men on the planet that have done sinister because there's different weights for men and women. And the weight for men is crazy. And with women, it, it's a bit easier. So like you get a very strong woman, she'll do sinister. Yep. But so it's a 48 kilo kettlebell that you got to do a hundred one-handed swings with and then 10 Turkish get-ups. Right. With, right. And that's with a 48 kilo kettlebell. 48 kilo kettlebell is like a fucking cannonball. That's a lot of weight. Yeah. So I had this goal of being able to do that. And I was training really like I was did everything right. Followed the program, followed the book to the letter, hit uh, simple within, I think it was 76 sessions of starting. Like I kept a really detailed log of it all. Uh, and was on my way to Sinister where I was, I would, I never got to the 48, but I got to the 44 kilo mm-hmm. um, and was doing Turkish gaps with a 44 and one handed swings with a 44 kilo kettlebell, right? But I kind of got a bit injured doing it, not specifically doing a session, but doing something else and sort of fell off the wagon and, and couldn't maintain it. And then you have this issue of, you know, a couple of months ago, I could do this 
big, impressive lift. And now I can't even pick up that bell. I have to go all the way back to the start and I don't want to do that. Mm. Anyway, I'm waffling. But where I'm going with all of this, as I said to my physio, I'm like, mate, I, I'm struggling because I want to be doing this stuff and I'm, I'm just not able to do it. I want to lose weight and the, like I want to get back to fitness and the type of training I want to do is making me worse. I'm getting more and more injured. And he's like, Pat, you have to go back to the fundamental skills of like addressing your injuries and getting your alignment correct and start rebuilding the core stuff that is super fucking boring to do. Mm. So instead of throwing around a 40 kilo kettlebell and grunting and doing all the cool stuff, like the, the type of training I want to do, right? Big lifts and you know, hurting yourself, throwing it around. I'm standing there with a fucking elastic band holding my shoulders in the right position, just trying to get my arms a little bit apart, like this boring shit. Mm. And so he's, he tells me a couple of weeks ago, he's like, this is the exercise you, you got to do. And I'm like, yeah, I promise I'll, I'll totally do it. <laughs> and then I do it right there in front of him and I did it the next day. And then I kind of- You drifted. I kind of did it a little bit a couple of days mm. later. And then I saw the kettlebell and I was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking throw that thing around and, and got into these sessions. And of course I'm like I'm in yourself. agony for fucking ages. Yep. And then I go to see him because I've got this weekly appointment and I'm in the waiting room and he's like, so hey, you do the exercise? I'm like, yep, totally did. And I take off my shirt <laughs> and he's like, just do this. Like he gets me to move my arms a certain way. And he goes, you did the exercise, did you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, I do. And he's like, you did them the way I told you to as often as I told you to do them. And I was like, no, no, you got me. Yeah, <laughs> because he could tell I hadn't. Yeah, he just hadn't. Mm. And I was like, oh man, I just don't like it. Like it's fucking boring, and I don't enjoy it. I want to do the type of training that I want to. I enjoy. And he's like, yeah, but you can, and you will, when you do the boring stuff. When you lay the foundation skills that you need in order to do the cool guy stuff. And he gives me this dressing down about how I need to be doing the right thing. And. I had this kind of out of body experience <laughs> and I was like, I've had this same fucking conversation a hundred times. Only I'm the one giving people a dressing down <laughs> and it's dog training because people want to do the cool guy shit with their dog and don't want to do any of the foundation skills stuff. And I realized I was like, God damn, I'm a massive hypocrite. And no wonder I get such opposition to people wanting to do the foundation skills stuff because it's so goddamn boring. And maybe I am not, it's unlikely that I'm not doing a good enough job explaining why to do it because he did a great job explaining to me. I know. I know full well why I should do the remedial stuff. I know. I totally know why I should do that. I 100% say it, but I just don't want to. I don't enjoy it. It's fucking bullshit, and it's not what I want to do. Prior to having all these injuries, I didn't have to do any of that shit. I could just throw stuff around, and that's why I have these injuries probably because I didn't do any of the, <laughs> the things, right? But so I have this conversation with him, and then the next day – I work with a guy whose dog can't out. It's a, a friend of a friend. I didn't even want to do the session, but I turn up, dog can't out off the suit. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let me see the dog out off the toy. Dog can't out off the toy. I'm like, well, we're not getting the suit out. And he's like, no, you're here to be the decoy to help me teach the dog to out off the suit. And I'm like, mate, there's no fucking point in trying to teach a dog to out off the suit if you can't get him to let go of a ball. Let's do some foundation skills. Mm. And he's like, mate, that's boring. I don't want to be teaching you how to get off the ball and that's not important to me. I don't really care about him. You're off the ball. I care about him out from the suit. And I'm like, yes, but he's never going to fucking out cleanly from the suit. If you don't teach him to out cleanly from the ball, like we, I mean, we can do it in the same way. I can pick up a 48 kilo kettlebell. I can do it, mm. but it's not going to be pretty and it's not going to have the effect that I want. It's not going to work. Like when I, 
you know, we trained for strength to like the kettlebell guy that teaches me or that I was learning from, it's about practicing for strength. And it's like, nobody ever needs to pick up a 48 kilo kettlebell, but you might have to wrench a door off a car to get someone out of it and shit like that. Like you practice strength for when you're going to need it in the real world. And as I said to this guy, mate, like we can get the dog to out from the suit. Now we can do things that that will happen. But when he bites someone for realsies, you're not going to be out of out because mm-hmm. you you don't have the same mechanisms in place that we have here. Like we got to start, we got to do the incremental pr- progression. No conditioning in place. So I give him this mm. dressing down, identical to the dressing down that I got <laughs> 24 hours earlier from my physio. Yep. And I get in the car and I'm like, I'm a mad hypocrite. I am 100% my bad client. And you know what? I've sacked clients. When people wouldn't do the foundation skills, I'm like, hey, we're not going to work out. You mm. want to do the cool guy stuff. And trust me, I want you to do the cool guy stuff too. But if you don't have the foundation skills, we're not progressing to there. But my physio has stuck with me through my lies of, of me saying like, yeah, yeah, I totally did it. I, I did it all week. So it's hard. <laughs> I hear you. I actually have been resigned by a physio for pretty much the same sort of thing because I find the work, like that core establishment work that they give you is very boring. It's so very boring. It's so boring. But if you look at everything that we do, and I know that I've told my Silum Tao story before yep. on here, but you know, I can't, that's why I got it tattooed. It's on, it's, it reminds me that the foundation work is the establishment of everything that you're doing and you must revisit it. Give us the two minute version so this podcast can stand alone. Yeah, I okay. haven't heard it. I have said it before. So if you've been listening along, bear with me. I will revise it as quickly as I can. So I used to do Wing Chun Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. When you're first learning Wing Chun, they teach you a form called the Silum Tao, and it translates to little big form. They encourage you to do it all the time. You start the class with it and you end the class with it. And it's constantly something that they say to you when you're in your own time, practice your breathing, think about your stance. And as you grow and develop in Wing Chun, they tell you more and more about it. Like they reveal, it's not that it's a secret, but they just reveal it more to the student when you're Mm -hmm. ready to take it. So they say to you, you know, like your stance is important. You should focus on your breathing and you also should think about where your arms are, how effective you are and feel in a meditative state that you can root yourself to the core of the planet and draw power from the planet. And that's how they say, that's how the establishment of a fighter, when they when they understand how to stand and utilize their core, the power that emanates from them is incredible. But it gets boring after a period of time because you're so doing boring. the same thing. And you, I used to go home and I'd do it and I'd go to class and I'd do it. And then I saw the advanced practitioners doing what's called the bilgy, which is the third process along. But it's so animated and so goddamn sexy when you're watching it. Like it's the violence of it, yeah. you know, like it's it's attracting. Yes. And you see that. And I saw a, a masterclass happen where they had a Sifu visiting from China. And he was in the group and he was watching everybody and he was doing the grading for the advanced belts. And I was spying on them. I shouldn't have been, but I was. I was spying. I was. They had a cantilever curtain and I'd popped it open. So I ducked out of my class, run down the hallway, and I was checking him out. Big boys. Yeah. And he saw me. And I thought, oh, fuck. He visibly looked at me and he like he's – I know people can't see my face, but his eyes cocked and – I can imagine. Looked at me. Yeah, that's right. It's all part of a <laughs> – I'm trying to build this imagination. So he, he saw me and I bolted. Like I thought, oh, that was a fucking dick move. So yeah. I ran back to class and I'm down there and he made his way down after a period of time. And I was there and he did the fingers like come over here and I came over and he said, oh, I noticed that you're watching the Bill G. And I said, yeah. He said, what did you think? And I said, oh, it looks awesome. It's amazing. And I can't wait to do it. He said it's a very involved process and takes time to get there. As you would know, you've got to go through the grading process. And he said, all that aside, how is your Silum Tau? And I said, really good. 
and I spoke with confidence and enthusiasm. He goes, I got the best goddamn ceiling towel you've ever fucking seen. Pretty much. That's what I was emanating was, you know, like this was amazing. And he said, well, I'd like to see you show me. And I said now, and he said, why not? Perfect time. Some people were gathering around to watch me do it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a fucking shit show. But I thought, okay, well, I'm in front of this guy. I'm going to have to do the best I possibly can. So I sat there, I cleared my mind, I positioned my feet, I bent my knees and I started the process. So I started to do the breathing and then I started to flow into it. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm fucking killing this. Like I'm doing really good. He was walking around me and he was looking at my knees and looking at my feet and looking at my hands and he didn't say anything. He just looked, he just walked around in in like semicircles and just prowled around me and watched me do the whole routine. It got to the end of it and I'd finally done the last movement and I exhaled. He put his hand up to his lip and he sort of scratched along the top of his lip and uh, he said, I thought you said you were really good. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, that was, I fucking caved into myself. He was actually very kind and considerate. He said, look, I understand that you want to advance. He said, everybody does. It's normal. He said, the drawer is always on what's most attractive and what's out of reach. Like we have this desire to want to be better than what we are. Like we're projecting forward all the time. I wish I was older. I wish I was there. And it's like I said in last week's episode, you know, when Yoda says to Luke, you're always thinking about the future. You're never really present. And that's what he was saying. He was saying presence is where this all comes from. And if you listen to good instructors of any caliber in sports, in martial arts, in uh, dog training and horse training and whatever, you can put it in any category. They always say presence is where it needs to be. You know, like you need to slow down and you need to think about where you are. Because as he was talking about this whole process of the Silent Tower, he said, we are always desiring what's just out of reach for us. We're never really focused on the importance of what we're doing right now and how the establishment of this core technique and belief is going to set us up for everything that we need to do. And he made a point of telling me, he said, like all of the grandmasters all over the world, the best practitioners of this always come back to the Silum Tao and they're always trying to fix something minuscule, something so little about it, but they're all like they're fastidious about trying to be better in their breathing or feel more connection with the planet or more connection with chi. And that's establishment what it is. I mean, when you when I look at that tattoo on my wrist that I'm showing you now, it's the symbol of chi. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to establish, if you watch Kung Fu Panda 3, you know, like they talk about um, <laughs> chi. It's, I love that show, that whole yeah, yeah. series. I just love it. He really resonated with me. Like he gave me such a kind spank that I really went home and thought about it. And even though I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm an, uh, like a perfect student of that, it still rattles around in my head as much as it has for you. You know, like I agonized over that for such a period of time. And I thought I had the same epiphany that you had. I tell people to stop doing this sort of shit. Like I ride their ass. I email them. I ring them and say, why have you pushed beyond your limit? Like you're outside your comfort zone now. This is where you're unstable in your practice. You can see the instability there because you've gone beyond where you could cope. I know people are going to listen to this and think, oh, fuck, here we go again. My newest thing everyone knows is guitaring. Okay. Mm -hmm. I dedicate an hour to it every single night. Mm -hmm. I just paid to do another course called Guitar Mastery Method. And some people really like it and some people don't. 
But what I do like about it is that he really sets aside what all the core techniques are and he stipulates to you. He said, if you don't do this the way that I'm showing you and with the technique that I'm doing, you won't get the results that I'm showing you in the advanced things. So he said, if you just fast forward to this now, you'll be angry, you'll give up, you'll quit and you'll do what most people do. It's because you're not doing the core techniques, the core structure. So 20 minutes of my playing every night is doing fretboard exercises where my fingers are just dancing around up and down. It's called the spider crawl where your hands go up and they come down. The reason I want to do this was because a friend of mine who's doing the NDTF course, he's about to come back in February, a guy called Josh Blau, amazing yoga practitioner and meditation coach, like really, really good. Mm -hmm. Runs workshops up in Byron Bay. He's just an absolute star at that sort of thing. Like he's really made a good career for himself by doing this, but he's also a really good guitar player as well. Okay. And um, him and I came down, had, when he was here last time when he's doing his block one, we were doing a little jam session and he was saying to me, dude, your fingers are flying all over the place. Like they're, they're too far away from the fretboard. You're not doing the nice technique of being a good guitarist and this will affect you down the, the path. And that's what got me thinking about it. And then when you started talking about this, I'm thinking to myself, that's the language that we're all talking and it's the language that we're all preaching to other people. Yeah. Yet every time we pick up something and think, no, I want to be a master shredder. I've got to go hard and I've got to get into song playing now. But let me direct you into the story of Eddie Van Halen who from the band uh-huh. Van Halen. When all his mates were going out and partying and chasing girls and stuff like that, he stayed in his bedroom and played guitar. Mm -hmm. He's been heralded as one of the best guitarists in the world. He didn't get there by just picking up a guitar and being great. Mm. He did what everybody does who actually gets to showcase what they're doing. They practice, they fail, they practice, they fail, they practice. They find a way to reduce the amount of failure by going back and stretching out the increments of what they're doing. It's the same thing we teach in Every aspect of basic shaping, when you go beyond that basic shaping skills, you start to see the instability come back in again. The dog can't follow you. It can't understand you. It's lost connection to you. It's basically like having broadband that's that's getting no more signal. It's just degrading. Yeah. But when you go back, you know, and the same thing is when you walk back into range, you pick it up again. Mm. And that's the same thing that we've all got to remember when we're talking about the establishment of these core skills is foundations are not something to be shunned. They're not something to be taken lightly. Otherwise, we'd have skyscrapers falling all over the place in every major city. The only reason those buildings last so well is because people have put a lot of time into thinking how deep and how wide must we go? Like our foundation really must be cast well. So a lot of people have poured over that. They didn't just do it because they thought we just want to take money out of people. They're thinking, well, if I'm going to go up 60 stories, I want to make sure this heavy burden is not just going to either A, sink into the ground or just B, fall over and crush the, you know, like a line of other people and kill 10,000 people with, with one fell swoop. The process has got to be established well. Yeah. It's a funny one. Like, we get emails on the reg mm. from people that we laugh about that are like basically saying that they're going to be world champions at whatever dog sport they've just started in. Oh, I heard the podcast, really like it. Started doing noseworks or XYZ dog sport, whatever. When I'm the world champion, I'll remember you, little guys. And, and <laughs> yes. And yep. we laugh, right? We're mm. like, <laughs> look at this. Right? It's like that quote out of Anchorman. 
And we're laughing. Yeah. We're right. friends. And we think, oh, you gotta you gotta lesson to learn, my friend. But you'll learn it and mm. you'll be fine and you'll it'll be fine, right? Mm. And we've had that same email multiple times from different people all around the world, right? And we decided I write back like, hey, good luck, you know, best wishes. You, you know, enjoy the journey. Don't get too fixated on the end goal. And we just think like, oh, you know, what a dickhead, right? Well, I just said before about how I was working towards I wanted to achieve this standard called sinister. Mm. I invite you listener to get onto the strong first website just google strong first and on the website there's a section that says the sinister like simple and sinister and they have in order to get the title you have to film yourself and send in the video to be critiqued (laughs) they're on the website have a look at the fucking people that have done that right and when i think about how outrageous it is (laughs) that i thought i was gonna be able to do that like they're all fucking monsters, right? They're all monsters and they're career strongmen and shit like that, right? Mm. Like they're people who have like PT and whatever is their full-time gig. They're, they've dedicated their entire life to it. There was a guy, uh, Pavel Machek. So the, the guy, the main guy in Strong First is uh, Pavel Tetsuom, but there's another guy, Pavel Machek, that's kind of like been his you know, protege sort of thing. Uh, and he's quite a small guy. He's only sort of 60 kilos. And he's been practicing. He's been training for it because you've got to use this 48 kilo bell for, you know, five years or more. He's had that as this goal. And he is, he's the protege to the expert, right? And mm. he set it as like a five-year goal. Meanwhile, some dickhead Jono in Australia <laughs> with a fucked up body who's never, you know, like I wear that shirt all the time, kind of fit, kind of fat, right? Like that's been my my life thinks that he's going to knock that out in his garage, just learning it himself, and I'm going to get it done in but 12 months. you got coaching months. for it too, though. Yeah, I got a couple, like, yeah, I had a couple of lessons on how to do it properly, but and I read the book, right? Mm. But it, my ambition was so far out of line with reality. It just had no basis in reality. And the more I think about it now with, like, my fucking banged-up shoulder, like, I can't even do one Turkish get-up with a empty. I can't, like, my arm doesn't bend that way anymore currently i'm trying to i'm working on that so i'm doing my remedial stuff to be even be able to do one Mm. without a weight but like the idea that i was ever going to be able to do it timed to that program that like i said only like 20 people on the planet have ever effectively done the idea that i thought i was going to be one of them is fucking outrageous but when people come to us and think they're going to do similar in dog stuff we kind of like (laughs) enjoy the journey I'm better at teaching dog training than I am dog training, but I'm still very fucking good at it, right? I'm I'm still very good. Hmm. But I don't shoot above the stars of what I can achieve. Like, I don't think I'm going to be a world champion. You're happy to hit the moon. Yeah. Like, Hmm. I'm very good. I'm very good at doing it. I'm very good at teaching it. But I'm not the best in the world. Not by any fucking stretch of the imagination. I don't play in those arenas. And frankly, most of the people that are the best in the world don't have the skills that I do in teaching and therefore you've never heard of them, right? Mm. Like they're just busy out there winning world championships. Right? Everybody's got their niche. Everyone's yeah. got their skills. So like I'm totally, I know where I fit in mm. the in the food chain and I'm happy where I fit. But that's because I really intimately understand that food chain. I know where I fit because I know who's at the bottom and I know who's at the top. I know all the steps that go in between. And the reason I know that I'll never be the very best is because I know what it takes to become the very best and I am unable and unwilling to do some of those things, Mm. right? But when you don't know that, like I didn't understand with achieving the sinister thing with the kettlebells, like I thought it was an attainable goal and I fucked myself up badly trying to attain that goal 
and still had it as a goal. Like still was thinking this is something I'm going to go for. I'm, this is a minor setback. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> when my arm doesn't move the right way anymore and I can't do it with zero weight instead of like 48 kilos attached to that arm, like it didn't occur to me until, you know, recently and I had to kind of be told this. I was like, that's totally unachievable for you, man. And the reasons are these, right? And in the dog space, I totally understand that. But outside of that, I don't really get it. And I think one of the things, not just in the sport and that kind of dog training world, I think this applies especially to when we get people come to us with like their rescue dogs and they come to us and they say, Hey, like this is my dog and it's going to be a therapy dog. And you're like, it's fucking not. I'm telling you, it's not. There is no path that leads to this dog being a therapy dog because like it is not the right kind of dog in mm. the same way. I'm not a person that will ever do a Turkish get up with 40, 48 kilos over my head. Your dog is never the dog that is going to enjoy going into hospitals and being pat by people and down people downloading their stress into the dog. See, this is where that quote, never let your ambitions get mixed up with your capabilities, really has to be thought about. Now, I've said that to people sometimes and they've really been offended by the context of it. And they've said to me, how dare you say that to me? Like, how dare you strip my dreams away? And I said, don't look at it that way. It's not there to strip your dreams. It's there to let you know that sometimes we have walls that we just cannot get beyond. Yeah. Like, I would never say to you, Pat, you'll never do Sinister. I would never say that to you because that's not really my right to say that to you because you being you, you know, you might go away and do it and in five years' time come back all jacked up and and looking like, (laughs) what's that guy from uh, Dave? Dave Batista. Dave Batista. That's the guy's name. Yeah, so you might, you know, you might come back all jacked up looking like Dave (laughs) Batista, you know, and and be able to pull off. Well, I can't feel your pain. Like, I can't feel it. But- You know, like I know that there's certainly things that I just am physically and mentally incapable of. Like for me to say that I'm going to be the equivalent of Einstein, well, that's presumptuous and stupid for me. I'm just saying for me. It's not to say that I I don't have intelligence and I can't deep think and I can't do it, but I'm not a math genius. Mm. Like math doesn't speak to me the same way it does other people. Some people, math makes complete sense to them. They look at math and they're excited by it. I look at math and I'm terrified by it. Mm. I think of math as a wall when I see it. Now, it doesn't mean that I can't get better at it and can't get beyond it, but some people out there who are like almost savants with math, I'm not going to be at their level. Mm. And I have to accept that and find something where I'm happy with what I'm doing. And effectively, I have. I don't want to be the world champion in any particular sport. I enjoy the collaboration. I enjoy the cooperation. I enjoy the fun of being involved in a sport, but I don't really enjoy stopping everything and, and having that all or nothing. Some people do and they, and they excel at it and they've done well at it and I applaud them. And in some ways I'm envious about them, but it's not something that I'm prepared to do. I'm not, mm. I'm just not prepared to do that because that's an ambition that I'm just not capable of doing. Yeah. But to my point though, you know that, and you know what would be involved to be that yes. and you've made the conscious choice not to. Yeah. Right. And I think that's one of the things that we as dog trainers and certainly, you know, I, I shouldn't tell other people what to do, but from my point of view, it was a realization for me that I need to get better at explaining to people why those foundation skills are so important. Mm. Right. Because, you know, like in my own training, for example, right. It's so rare that if I have a, if I have something fall apart in a session, it's so fucking rare that I address that in a session. Right. It'd have to be a very specific sort of case and it'd have to be, you know, like all the ducks would have to line up more often than not. I go, Hmm, noted. 
right? And I go back because I know that fixing it here is going to be a much harder and carry much more risk than it does when I create a session designed to fix it, mm. right? Because it's a foundation skill. Like if, if when when something falls over at the top end, it's because it toppled at the bottom. The, the issue is very rarely at the like like the wobbling tower. You don't fortify the top, right? You fortify mm. the bottom, and it stops wobbling, and now the top is stable, right? So I identify that in my own training, and I do. I you know the core of my job really is identifying that in other people's training and saying like, oh, I see where you've gone wrong. We need to go all the way back and do these foundation skill stuff. And for competitors and people who have the right dog, for the most we get that. But it's when we're talking to people who like are enthusiastic to be the endpoint and want to rush to it. And you say, hey, it could be, right? Like it was unfair of me to say to say before your your dog's never going to be a therapy dog, right? But in order for it to be that, these are the steps it's going to have to go through. And mm. there's a series of gates and you cannot go through one gate without going through the first. You can't go through the second without the first. You can't go through the third without the second. You have to do this in the right order yep. to give your dog any chance of that. And I think it's tricky to do because boring. I totally acknowledge like it's not for me because I enjoy that. And in the same way, my physio, like he's really acutely aware of the way the body moves and he can, he had me doing a move the other day and he was getting not angry at me, but he was like, no, your arm's not in the right position. I was like, man, it doesn't go that way. I don't have a neural pathway to do that. Mm. I understand what you're telling me. I get it. I'm trying to do it, but my arm just isn't bending that way. It just isn't moving. I don't have, like, it's like I'm paralyzed there. Like, I'm sending the signal and it's fucking not happening. Mm. And I think that's often what like we need to acknowledge with some of the people when it's like, hey, I need you to get better at these markers. They're like, I don't see the value in that. Like, I don't, I don't see that. And, and I want to get to the cool guy stuff at the end. And it's like, yes, but you won't unless you do these foundation skills. Or what you get at the end will be me holding that kettlebell over my head with a shaky rickety body like yeah it can happen but it's going to be a one-off and the circumstances are going to have to be perfectly correct and you're not going to be able to replicate it and you're not going to be reliable be able to reliably recall it and do it right there and then right whenever you're asked mm. you, you're going to have to set the scene for it to go perfectly rather than just be able to recall that and go yeah we'll do it right now right i recall on so many times where different mentors across the field again in different aspects have always said that success is very lonely and the reason for that is, and I'm going to go back to talking about Eddie Van Halen again, because I was I was listening to a whole documentary about it the other day where somebody was captivating his early life. And they basically said in the early days, he was just like everybody else. He was just a kid with a guitar in his bedroom, somebody hammering away night after night, going through the physical pain of his fingers hurting, going through those stretches, going through those fret and those chord progressions until finally he had breakthroughs where he got better faster, meticulous ways to make his fingers dance across the fretboard. If you apply that to dog training, it's the same sort of thing. Like there are times where five years ago, this person was just a person with a young dog Mm. and suddenly all of a sudden they've appeared onto the scene and people are thinking, well, where did this person come from? Number one, they learned the applied rules, the core establishment of what you have to do. They applied that principle meticulously. Now, yes, they might have a great dog, which is definitely going to help them. And that's that dog. It's that dog that you were talking about before. That's, you know, like you're establishing together, but the dog and the handler and even the coach, the whole team have got this unified progression where they're all advancing together. They're working through the basics and they're not skipping ahead. They're not looking to wish a day away. Just jumping out of that story into another one, listening to you talking about some of the people that speak to us in emails or on social media and so forth, 
there's a couple of people immediately come to mind mm-hmm. and they'll hear this and they'll know that I'm talking about them, but I'm not going to mention their names. And there's several of them. There's not one. I'm talking about probably half a dozen to a dozen people who at random times say, oh, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. And they're jumping track so quickly. And my advice to them all the time is you're young. You've got time. You don't have to race through everything that you're doing like this. Practice the basic skills of it, master them, and then when you're really good at them, and I'm saying really good, when you have your sell them tail down, Pat, then move forward. You're ready to. Like everything is telling you. The universe is speaking to you through your actions. It is saying to you, my friend, you are doing this perfectly. You are ready to move to the next step. Mm. I'm an impatient motherfucker. Yep. I want things now. And we're living in that world that the world is very rewarded for getting things now. Amazon did it when they came into business. They knocked a lot of people out because they thought, no, the customer wants it now. We'll have it delivered on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. So that's very much rewarded and that stimulates our thinking. And that's why we start to think like that. But dogs don't work like that. Mm. They fall out of tempo with you and they, they look at you with those doughy eyes and go, dude, I don't understand you. Yesterday I did. But today I don't because you're asking of me something you haven't prepared me for. Yeah, it's for. a step too far. It's a step too far. That's why that system where I was talking about, it's not a system, it's just a, a thought process to, so people can actually, they can visualize it better in their heads when you're thinking millimeter, centimeter, meter. Like you're going into meter mode. You have to go back to the millimeter mode. You are not ready for the meter. The meter will come when you're making such progressive steps that, you know, like you've gone through so much of those early foundational works that the dog says to you, yeah, I know how to do this because you and I are prepped for it. Mm. Now we can work hard. But even if you are working in meters, it doesn't mean to say that you don't go back to that foundational skill. You don't skip back to it. Because as mentioned before, referencing before the story I told about the Silentau, the grandmasters still go back to it all the time. They still always think about it. It's on their mind all the time. How do I get better at this? I've spoken to meditation coaches before. I spoke to Josh about it. You know, like Josh was talking, trying to get me into meditation and so forth. And I said, man, I love the idea of it and I've, I've done it before, but my mind's too busy. And he said, but that's an excuse, Glenn. You can tailor yourself way back and you can get yourself into a spot where meditation can become enjoyable and you can be in your space. But I've made up so many excuses for myself of why I can't do it. Yeah. And that's why I can't do it. Yeah. It's not that I can't do it. It's that I, I'm too lazy or I'm not. You don't want to do what it takes to do it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to do what it takes. And it's exactly what you started this entire story off. And it fucking burns away at me. But that's one of 200 things that have happened in the last 10 years, (laughs) you know, that I've stopped and started. It's like when I started buying all these guitars, Narelle was furious at the start, but she's actually impressed at the moment that I'm in there and I have this time where I go in there and and just grill away at it. And I, I don't say to anyone I'm better than what I am because I'm not. I'm not confident to go around and play in front of other people at the moment because I'm still not that good at playing guitar, but I'm getting better incrementally and slowly. I'm getting better. But this year I've set a goal for myself that I want to get to the standard where I can say to people, I want to venture out of the room and come out and, and, you know, play people a song. Mm -hmm. So show them. Start playing the intro live, right? On the. Why not? You're going to give us a new intro every episode. But why go through all of this to not bear the fruits? Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's the thing is these foundational skills They are so goddamn boring when you've got to repeat them and you've got to do them. But there's reason, there's method to the madness of doing this. Like 
I know it's boring. I know it's frustrating. I know it feels like it's never leading to anywhere. But until you're exceptional at them, your progress, as you said, you know, like the building starts to shake. Yeah. It's starting to move from side to side because there is no foundation. The foundation is always compromised at the stage that you're trying to walk off it before you're ready. Yeah. You know, to that end, going forward, I'm going to start kind of reframing a little bit how I teach things. Now, like I already do sort of explain people the process and why I think foundation skills are so important and what they are and, you know, depending on the dog. But for the most part, there's sort of like some core behaviors that I'll teach to a dog and seldom are those things that I'll ever actually ask the dog to do, but they give way, they give, you know, bedrock to Mm. the things that I'll teach later on. And when, you know, it's in Patreon, I made that whole roadmap. Right. And yeah, the early one that you did. Yeah, it yeah. was really so good. Mm. What's cool about that is that's kind of nearly two and a half years old. It's mm. two years. It was a November one. So it was like, it's been two years and like three months. But it that still it's has currency. Out. Yeah. So there's a few little things that I would change a little bit if I was making it again, and maybe I will. But what's been cool is I've watched some dogs grow up, right? The people who I know followed that. And I've gotten to see like dogs with really good foundations, right? Mm. I've gotten to see like people who, who, people who maybe enjoy that kind of content because their brain works similar to mine in that like it's a flow chart, right? So yep. it's like teach this. And then once you have that, you can teach these things. We were just showing like I'm using a new app at the moment for like it's a creative thing for content development, but it's a flow chart app. And that's that's just how I prefer to work, mm. right? I, like I, I like to see things on the whiteboard and then turn it into like a flow chart. But what I think I'm going to try and do is get better at explaining to people the process because I harp a lot on the foundation skills And because I know how important they are in the process and I know where they plug into the process, I know like that skill becomes this at the, at the other end. Yep. And I'm guessing that I don't do a good enough job explaining that because that's what I feel is missing when I thought I was going to be able to do sinister. It's that I didn't fully understand the process. I knew the foundation skills, I did them, but then I rushed through like trying to get to the end. I was like, okay, here it is, the very start. And then I went like step one, step two, step eight, step 15, step 100. Mm. <laughs> right? Like tried to go like that instead of going all the way through. And in fact, there's a there's a Facebook group, a Strong First Facebook group, and people constantly ask questions about Simple and Sinister and they all get the same answer. It's like a running joke. Mm-hmm. A new person into the group will ask a question and the answer straight up always, and people even go like first and they write the answer, is reread the book. Yep. Because if you understand the book – there can be no questions, mm-hmm. right? Like it's all there. Every step is laid out. And if there's, there's no room for confusion, people are like, Oh, what happens at this weight when I get to the, no, it's in the book. I'm telling you it's in the book. And even I, I emailed Pavel and he wrote back to me, it's in the book, but he, he was nicer. It was like, he gave me the excerpt from the book rather yep. than just say reread the book. Right. But so I think that's going forward is something I want to concentrate on doing. And I think that it would be helpful in trying to convince people to, I'm not just going to be like, do the foundation skills. I'm going to more lay out the progressions. And the reason I've not done that in the past is because I think I'm overwhelming these people with information. There's no way they're going to remember all of these steps, right? Because we have this one session, there's no point laying it out because I, in the past, have thought, I'm just going to give you the relevant information because then I I want you to really understand it and implement it. Mm. And I think that I'm might be better off and it's what I'm going to try going forward is then giving them in less detail, but explaining the further process. So they at least know that there is more to it, Mm. right? Like there is a process. Here's step one and step two. And here's step three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. as quick as that. Like, but they're there, they exist. And 
you've got to implement those to get to where you want to go rather than boring people with step one and two. And they're like, fuck these steps. I'm going to step eight. Mm. Right. And I think in the sport dog world, this is cool. In the working dog world, it's cool. But more than anything, this is in the rescue. Like this is when you get the dog that isn't what you wanted. Yeah. Right. Like I think this is where it's most important. And it's not a space I deal in very much at all. In fact, you know, it's quite rare they're dealing that beyond the incidental contact I have with people and I'm teaching and they're part of a group. Like I don't necessarily take on those clients much anymore. Mm. But it's like that's where I think it becomes especially difficult is when someone gets a dog thinking it's going to be something. I want, you know, it's something as simple as the family pet that just hangs out of the house and is our good dog. And it's not that dog, mm. right? And it's like there maybe you can turn it into that dog, maybe, but there's all these steps in between and just trying to force it into being that dog is not going to work. Like smashing the square peg through the round hole is not going to work. What we need to do is reshape that peg slowly over time to turn it into a round peg. You can't just smash the square peg through the round hole. Now, you you, you probably can, but it's going to be a brutal experience and you're not really going to have a round peg. Yep. You're going to have a, a mushed up, fucked up square peg that got through a round hole, right? Instead, if we just slowly over time reshape it, we'll get it through the hole and it will actually fit. Yeah. Did you see that clip that I put into the canine paradigm of the guy making the venom? I think it's a DC... Uh-huh. Process, sure. yeah, it's Venom, the Spider-Man mm-hmm. spin-off that Tom Tom Hardy Tom Hardy plays the character in it. Mm-hmm. He actually gets a block of wood and he he progresses to actually shape Venom out of this block of wood. Now, the reason I put that up because oh I yeah, about, I did say that yeah 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 yeah. yeah. I thought you were talking about a costume, but yeah, no no no, the, it was actually shaping it out of a block of wood. Usually, when we're talking NDTF, I tell student groups the concept of how Michelangelo created David. Mm. You know, like he needed the granite or the marble at that particular side, and he could see it within. Like he mm-hmm. knew what he was he doing. Just set him free. Yes. The great thing about that video clip was I was able to actually show people what I was talking about mm. because, you know, at one stage he was using a chainsaw to chop massive bits out of it, and he could see that he kept sketching and drawing and recreating, so he could visualize, you know, like I can still see Venom, there he is, and I could pull him out of this block of wood. You know, like he's inside it. All I need to do is bring him out by going in hard and then um, using the finesse of tiny shaping tools to get it out of there. When you watch things like that, you can see that the reason he was able to create Venom at that size out of that bit of wood was because that bit of wood totally encapsulated the figure inside of it. When you're talking about a dog, it's the same sort of concept. If the end product is inside the raw material, you can extract it. It's there. You're capable of pulling it out and creating whatever masterpiece that you want to create out of it. However, if that bit of wood is compromised or it's smaller than what you wanted or it cracks in between it, let's say, for example, you're cutting halfway into it and you find a massive knot hole or some rot in there or something like that, that means that all of that work is not going to turn out what you wanted it to be. So you're already compromised. You already realize this is not going to turn out the way I want it to happen. The amount of people I've seen that in the dog industry, it's heartbreaking for them because they're 40 months down the track and they realize this dog's not going to cut it. Mm. Some people blame themselves like they're hard on themselves and sometimes it is their fault. Yeah. There's often times where it's not. It's just not the dog that's capable of doing the work. Yeah. You know, and they realize I can't achieve a level of the sport or the work that I want to do, whether it be in law enforcement or detection or whatever it is. It's just not there. It's compromised. I've got a dog that just won't follow this program anymore. So then they, they're they at a crossroads where they, they know that this dog has to be swapped out for another dog. That's a hard thing to do. But it's like you said before, when we're starting to talk about the rescue scene, 
a lot of these dogs already, their chassis is dented. The reason like a lot of cars are taken off the road is because their chassis is bent. Mm. You can't fix it. it. But some people want to. Yeah. You know, like when they've got an old classic car, they want to work on it, but they've got to realize, you know, like you've had to have some pretty extensive work to the chassis. It's not going to be a NASCAR anymore, dude. It's just something you can collect in your garage and admire. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting parallel because you can get that car drivable, but it's always going to like veer to the left. Mm. And it's the same with those dogs. Well, like it's just got can, that nagging vibration that never goes away. Yeah. And so, like, you can get it pretty close. Yeah. But it's always going to be sort of something bubbling away there. And you've got to just acknowledge that and not ignore it and counter it all the time. Right. So it's like just, it's when you pretend there's no problem that that, that small problem becomes a big problem. Right. But it's when you go, like, no, there is a small problem here. And I've got to just kind of. I like that. I think what you just said then really has merit overall. Because if anyone's listening to this and they think, oh, you guys have been negative and you're saying you shouldn't reach for the stars. We're not saying that at all. If that's what you heard, you misinterpreted what we're saying. What you're saying is that as long as you don't mislead yourself, as long as you're honest with yourself and you say to yourself, I know this dog's got problems. I don't care. I've learned a lot along the way and I've enjoyed the journey thus far. Like me and this dog have had history. I've enjoyed it. That's cool. But when you're pretending that that's not happening, you know, and that like you're going to go in front of a bunch of colleagues who already know the answer anyway and they can see it, don't put yourself in that situation. Mm. Don't come Don't come out on bottom of a discussion that other people are going to look at and go, this person's delusional in this conversation. Mm. You know, like they're not even re- meeting real world standards. Like they're not talking about something that's accurate. They've come up with a fictional tale. That narrative sits better in their head as it does in the real world. Mm. I have some experience in that because I've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I've, yeah. I've done that before when I can feel the hurt in something because I'm thinking, well, I put a lot of effort into this. And I don't want to acknowledge that that's it. You know, yeah. like the journey to the top ends now because I can't go any further. It's just not what it's going to be. Everybody gets to a point of disappointment in that, but that's okay. That's part of the experience and the joy of learning mm. because what you, what you don't look at is I can't go any further. You have to look behind you and say, look how far I came. You know, like look at the experience I had. As long as you're being honest with yourself, as you said, that's really the crux of that conversation. It's yeah. the honesty with yourself about the situation you're having there. Like Biffy, old Biffy that I had, my old Rottweiler, loved him. Beautiful dog. But he was never going to be a, an amazing working dog, but he was an amazing ambassador for a friendly Rottweiler. Yeah. You know, and when he came into the shed, he was stable, he was happy, but he was never a good biting dog. Mm. That's just the way things are. And people said to me, aren't you disappointed? And I said, I am disappointed because I wanted him to be a good biting dog, but I also found a good friend in, yeah, in yeah. the dog as well. And I love him for that. And where he missed in some things, he was great in other things. Like he was great at doing complex skills, mm. you know, like he was fun at doing all those sort of stuff. But I guess sometimes you have to really analyze it. Like I didn't lose. What I did win was a lot of experience. I envy that I've met a few of these people around the world as you travel, you know, who got a dog with intending to do stuff with, but didn't know what. Yep. And we're like, what does the dog like to do? And did a little bit of everything and then kind of saw where the dog was. And they're like, I guess we're going to dock dogs. Yep. Right? Or like, turn out, I've seen one with a like fucking phenomenal biter. And it was like, 
I guess we're doing bike sports. Yep. <laughs> we were going to do obedience, but now we're doing bike sports because these dogs are fucking killer. Some people luck in. They just luck yeah. in. Yeah. Just- well, I mean, it's that they not necessarily luck. It's that they just left all the doors open. Yep. And it was like, what do you want to do? And you can't be let down by a dog There's always you have. still a degree of luck in that. Yeah, of course. you can have the – I remember talking with you and Bart when Bart was talking about where he saw this amazing young puppy who had all this potential, but the person was too hard on the rag work when it yeah. was teething the pup's entire career changed right there yeah, yeah, because the pup basically had such an aversive to the rag work and the way the yeah. handler or the owner of the dog was pulling it in and out of its mouth that it basically said biting is uncomfortable and painful and yeah. I don't want to do it anymore. You print that on the dog. Yeah. Yeah. That person probably thought they left the doors open. They probably thought this is what I need to do. I need to, you know, mm. create this intensity and keep the pup moving along the line and pushing further and further and starting to encroach into the meter application rather than millimeter centimeter application and then realizing, fuck, that's yeah, on me. Overshot it. That's a hard thing to come to terms with, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Like it's a really hard thing to realize that you were the perpetrator in that sort of situation. I know a lot of people that I've spoken to over years who still have a lot of guilt over things like that. It sits hard on them. I mean, I've had conversations with so many times where I've thought if you were an, an elite level and you knew that that was the wrong thing to do and did it, then I'd say to yourself, yeah, you, you should have a kick in your own ass. Yeah. But if you don't know and you're oblivious to it and you were still reaching for mentoring and you were reaching out to people and you innocently made that mistake, you have to learn to forgive yourself in those sort of situations. You have to honestly sit down and say, oh, I didn't do this on purpose. There was nothing that I did here that was deliberate. It was that I was clearly ignorant Mm. at the time, but unfortunately just didn't play out the way it could have. It'll be interesting to see what happens sort of going forward in the future with augmented reality and the sort of training the and metaverse. stuff. That, well, just the sort of training we'll be able to do. So mm. like, you know, dog training is, unfortunately, the dogs are our stooges because you got to practice, you got to learn and you, you make mistakes. That absolutely happens. And unfortunately, you've got live students that are your people you make mistakes on, right? So like, take for example, I use the term stooging. I don't know if it's the right term out in a the civilian world, but it was one of the worst things you could get bladed to do in the army is to stooge on a parachute course, which is because it's such a high stakes course, they never let instructors train people who are actually learning. Mm. So you have to go and redo your parachute course. So they usually get quite advanced people or at the minimum qualified, competent people to go and pretend that they're a new student so that someone can teach them how to do it. Because if the instructor makes a mistake, you need the student to go, I'm not doing that. Yep. That'll get me killed. Right. And you need the student to know that it's called stooging. It's the worst job in the world because the parachute course is the worst fucking course in the world. And so you got to go and hang from the risers for three weeks doing these stupid drills and then do your basic jumps all over. It's the worst. It's mm. the fucking worst thing that can happen to you in the army. We have that with dogs, right? So like we have some dog has to learn, like you're an upcoming handler, you're a decoy you got to, some dogs got to do it. And that's why we often say, you know, you need a, a trained dog to teach a decoy because a decoy is going to make mistakes. You need the dog not to suffer the consequence of those mistakes. You need the decoy that you need the dog to be like, nah, I'm going to push through that because that doesn't affect me. Right. But like, unfortunately with a, you know, a lot of dog training, we have to, you've got your dog and you make mistakes with that dog and that dog suffers the consequence of your sake. It'd be interesting to see going forward. Like if there is some sort of simulator, you know what I mean? Like in 10, 15 years, I don't know whether there will be, someone will come up with some kind of augmented reality training game where you can make mistakes and you can fuck up and you can learn to read a dog and the dog will move, you know, and react to you and that kind of shit. Like mm. surely that has to be coming, right? Like, that's you never know what old Zuck. 
the Zuck is up to. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm going to stay out of the metaverse for the most part. I mm. think, I don't know. There'll be some stuff I'd like to try in there, obviously. <laughs> Naturally, it's going to pique everyone's curiosity. And when something amazing happens in there, everybody's going to rush to it. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> All right. That's the wrap up. I think that's it. Yeah. That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. Mm. We just talk about stuff. We're allowed to. It's our podcast. Yeah. We just talk about stuff. Sometimes it's dog related. Yeah. If you like the show, you know, instead of listening to the show on your earbuds, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or earpods or whatever the fuck they're called. Yep. Get a boombox and like Bluetooth connect your phone to the boombox and play it as loud as you fucking can when you're in a public setting. So and do it like in 16 Candles where he just goes outside a window and holds his old 1980s yeah. boombox up and just plays yeah. music to it. So it doesn't have to be an 80s one. Just get like a, you know, just the, they're, they're pretty loud these the days. Boxes, small, those, yeah, those, those, those tubular handheld wireless speaker. Bluetooth devices. Bluetooth yeah. your phone up to it and yeah. just walk around listening to the podcast like that instead of privately listening and to do it. it like 1am in the morning. If you're in Sydney, go down to Vaucluse where they really appreciate it Yeah, and walk around some of those rich suburban places and just say, Hey guys, you really need to get out of bed and listen to this. Yeah. Y'all test the limit of your car speakers. <laughs> just find out like who, if you're in your car listening <laughs> to this, tell me honestly, have you ever gone to max volume? You don't even know what it sounds like. It might be fucking amazing. Or are you one of those people that drives down my road at like 10 o'clock at night that you can hear their windows bulging in their car from playing it? Yeah, those people are playing at max volume. They are playing it at max volume. Good for them. Yeah. Have you done that? Have you ever found out what your car stereo sounds like at max volume with the Canine Paradigm playing? Find out. Mm. That's an interesting one. Yeah. The other thing you could do is just like, like, rate, share, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. Do, like do a little Instagram-y sort of screenshot, share it as a story, that kind of stuff. So you're basically too. saying just go back to the Silum Tower of sharing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, telling a friend in real life is the Silum Tower of sharing. Yeah. That's like, that's hey, true. Yeah. have you heard this? Yeah. Forcing your family members, talking about it around the dinner table. Yeah. Bring it up when you're at Christmas dinner and people are arguing about politics when there's an argument at your family table between the Trumpsters and the Joe Biden lovers, just be like, that's interesting guys. But have you heard the canine paradigm? Yep. There you <laughs> that's go. The way that's to go. the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to support the show, you could jump into Patreon, flick us a few bucks. Mm-hmm. We'll give you extra episodes. Yep. You'll pay for all of our equipment, our hosting and all of that. I mean, we're just discussing how I'm sick of crowdcast and I'm going to change to Ecamm live and do the, um, Patreon lives in a different way, just relies on some time to figure out how that works and set it all up. If you want to give some money to the show, that'd be amazing. If you want to, but you can't, that's cool. And if you don't want to, like, that's cool too. Yep. Whatever. Hey, I just noticed this whole episode, you've got your kettlebell top on and I didn't even look down at it until now. Yeah. And I've just seen that. I love this shirt. It's one of my faves. That jacked up dude with two massive kettlebells. Yeah. That's this guy should follow him on Instagram. Mavericks Fieldhouse. He wears like eighties clothes. Big jack dude, comes yep. around, big kettlebells. Like. Is that the guy with the big beard where he goes out in the rain and does all these crazy uh, things? He might. And he eats liver and everything. No, nah, like no, that's the liver king. Yeah, the liver king. Yeah. yeah. I struggle with that guy. Yeah. He's a bit over the top. He's a bit OTT for me. Yep. Oh, yeah, Teespring. If you want a T-shirt mm-hmm. with our faces on it, yep. you should get one. Absolutely. Yep. Us Underpants. depicted as dogs. Yeah, us mm-hmm. depicted as dogs. Underpants, wall tapestries, yep. all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you jump into the Facebook group. That's mm-hmm. the place to group source information. Yep. Lots of cool conversations happening there. And if it's something else of a personal nature, 
uh, you could get in contact with us individually. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a quicker reply doing that. Yep. If, if you have something for one of us, send it to one of us. Yep. Uh, but if it's for both of us, shoot us an email. We are info at the Bye.